Well, we certainly have had a full order of service this morning, and uh, I think it's important that we take time to step back, slow down as we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper together and reflect on all that He has done for us. And if you were with us last Sunday morning, you know that I, I preached on 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verses 11 through 20, which led us to verse 21, which I didn't even cover last week because I wanted to make sure that we had a focus of the gospel this morning for our Lord's Supper celebration. But as I continue to pray about this Sunday morning, there was one thing that became crystal clear to me and abundantly clear to me in my own individual time with the Lord, and that is this, that my remote is not working great. So I'm just going to let you guys control that from back there. Our world is broken, much like my remote. It just became abundantly clear for me as I was prepping and as I was thinking about all the things that we were going to have in our order of service this morning and all the things that we've been placing in front of you and announcing and talking about and promoting. And I just kind of want to run through those and how they point to the brokenness of our world. The first thing that we put out this morning was the perspectives class. And if you think about the fact that for over 2,000 years, Christians have been given the message of the gospel and said, go and tell the whole world. And it's a beautiful thing to, to take the perspectives class and to see how God's hand has been at work through different periods of time and in different people groups. And it's a wonderful thing to celebrate and it's a great challenge to us. But it's also a reminder that 2,000 years later, there's still people that haven't heard the gospel because our world is broken. And then we have the election. And I love our country, but this election points to the brokenness that we have here. The brokenness and the frailty of our own humanity. By any and every definition of the world, this has been a very difficult election cycle. And I appreciate what both Jim and Steve had to say. Our trust isn't ultimately in any party, in any person, in any candidate. Our trust must always be in the holy, righteous, omnipotent God. Because our world is broken. And then today we have in the announcements that it's Veterans Day this Friday. And that's a wonderful thing for us to do is to, to think about those who have served our country and, 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 and those who have made sacrifices so that we could live in this country the way that we do. And quite frankly, the only reason that we need a military is because we live in a broken, fallen world. If our world wasn't broken, there would be no need for our men and women to make the sacrifices that they do and that they have done. So Veterans Day points to the fact that our world is broken. And then beginning tonight, we'll begin to celebrate the International Day of Prayer for the persecuted church because Christians around the world are suffering, being persecuted, and dying for their faith. And most of that goes unnoticed by the average American, even those that sit in churches like ours. So we're going to think about our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world tonight and next Sunday night 
And this Wednesday, if you feel so inclined, the teens are going to be watching a movie that's called The Insanity of God, which, which basically lays out the premise that you'd have to be crazy to follow God and to face the persecution that you do in this broken and fallen sinful world unless God really is who he says he is. And let me tell you, he is. And we have brothers and sisters around the world that face intense persecution that stand for their faith because God is real. And the last thing that we've been putting out in front of you regularly is Operation Christmas Child. And this is an attempt by an organization to bring a ray of hope and the gospel message to kids around the world. And it's a wonderful thing that they do. But the reality is, is that they're going into the parts of the world that represent the brokenness and the fallenness that we face in this world. And so we, we thank God for organizations that help us to bring that ray of light because the world is a dark and broken place. And so I want us to think, think about these things and the brokenness of our world as we reflect on 2 Corinthians 5.21 together, which tells us, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The first thing that I want to point out to you this morning about that verse is that it begins and it says, God made. It's important for us to understand from the very get-go that salvation was God's plan and design from the very beginning of the world. The reconciliation that we talked about last week and the ability that you and I as children of God have to, to bring the ministry of reconciliation to the world is only because God's plan was to redeem us. It's only because God said that he will do this. It is the plan and the gift of God that men and women who are fallen and broken and separated from him because of their sin can hear the good news of salvation and be reconciled to him. We need to make sure that we never forget that it was God's idea and not ours. And so we pursue reconciliation, and we pursue the, gospel, the spreading of the gospel, and we pursue all of those things not because it'll make us look good, not because we want what's best for those people and we want them to have a good life, but we pursue it because it brings glory to God. And it was his plan from the very beginning that he would do what was necessary to redeem a people for himself. And it's not our own doing that does it. It's all God's. In fact, all other religions, and we talk about this frequently, all other religions in the world try to earn their reconciliation with God. They try to please God and make him happy with us. But the reality is, is that nothing that man can do can bring about that reconciliation. Only what God has done through his son Jesus Christ can redeem and reconcile us to himself. Fallen, sinful man could never do enough good to make up for our brokenness. There's not enough good things that we could do here in the United States to fix the brokenness in our country. We can't even fix the brokenness in our own life. It takes God to fix what's broken inside of us. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't do everything that we can to, as children of God, to help our country and, and to 
share the good news with others and to share Operation Christmas Child and be part of the perspectives class and, and do these things. But we need to realize that it's not our efforts that are really ultimately going to make a difference. It's the fact that God made him. That's what will make all of the difference in this world. And we, we learn John 3.16 as young children. And we, we, we talk about it a lot when we're young, but we forget that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. God loved us enough to send his son so that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. This was God's plan from the beginning, and he gets the credit, and it's him that we are dependent upon because our verse tells us that God made him who knew no sin. Scripture tells us that no one is righteous, no, not one. There is no human being that has ever lived or will ever live on the face of this earth that is righteous on their own. And because of that, there was no one that could take the penalty for sin. No human being could live a life that would be holy enough, righteous enough, and pleasing enough to God, because we know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know this. And so that's why God had to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, because we fall short, and where we fall short, Jesus does not. Where you and I are broken and fallen and sinful, Jesus is holy and perfect and upright and righteous. And he could come to live the perfect life. He could be the one who knew no Sin. Because no sinner could die for their own sin. Someone else who was holy, perfect, and righteous would have to pay the penalty for us. 1 Peter 3.18, the beginning of the verse, tells us, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. The righteous one, the one who was perfect, suffered for our sins. The one who knew no sin would suffer for our sins. In fact, he was the Lamb of God. As the Old Testament continued to point to, to the coming Savior, and, and, and the, the Old Testament church would continue to sacrifice these lambs, these perfect, spotless lambs from their flock. And then when Jesus came, John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And it wouldn't have been lost on his hearers that that Lamb of God was the perfect, righteous, spotless Lamb of God. Because that's what would be required to pay the penalty for our sin. Only a perfect Lamb could be a worthy sacrifice. And Jesus became that perfect, spotless Lamb for us to be sacrificed on our behalf. And in fact, it tells us that in our verse. It says, God made him to be sin on our behalf. That's a beautiful phrase, to be sin on our behalf. This is the first and glorious part of the great exchange. That Jesus, who knew no sin, would become sin on our behalf. Isaiah 53 in verses 5 and 6, give us a picture of this. Years before Jesus walked the earth, and it says, 
but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, had our iniquities, our sin laid on him. And God put our sin on Jesus as if it were his punishment to pay. But he was perfect and righteous and holy. But somebody had to pay. Because God is holy, holy, holy. And someone had to pay for our sins. He must punish our sins to be a righteous and holy God. And so instead of punishing you and I, he put our sin, our iniquity, and he crushed his son with the weight of our sin. As we sung about earlier, the father turned his face away from Christ on the cross so that you and I could be redeemed. In fact, our verse tells us that he did this, that we might become the righteousness of God. The second beautiful part of the great exchange is that Jesus took our sin and we get to become the righteousness of God. Completely unworthy, and yet he accomplished that for us. And this tells us how dearly God wants to have a reconciled relationship with us. God desires to have a relationship with us so much that he would punish his own son, his only begotten son, Jesus, God in the flesh, would go to the cross to take our sin and our brokenness. From the Garden of Eden, we were separated from God and couldn't have a right relationship with him. And each one of us chooses to sin, and yet God takes the penalty for us. What a beautiful picture 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives us of this great exchange in Scripture that Jesus put on our sin so that we could put on his righteousness. The second part of 1 Peter 3.18 says that for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. It wasn't just that he was going to suffer for our sins because someone had to pay the penalty. The purpose of the gospel, the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross wasn't just so that we could be seen as righteous. It was to bring us to God, to bring us back into that relationship with our Heavenly Father, to bring us to that place where we could worship him because he is worthy of our worship. But as fallen sinful creatures, we are separated from him and we can't even worship him correctly. So Jesus suffered for us so that we could be brought back to God. This is the theological term, imputed righteousness, that, that, that Jesus puts his righteousness on us and God no longer sees us as the fallen, sinful, broken people that we are. But instead, he sees us as adopted sons and daughters. He sees us as, as his children. He sees us through the righteousness of Christ. And we can now have a glorious relationship with our heavenly father even though i'm a sinner even though you are a sinner you have the opportunity that when god looks at you he doesn't see you he sees jesus and that is a beautiful beautiful thing 
Philippians 3.9 tells us that, that we can be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. I can't keep the law good enough to have a righteousness of my own. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And just like at the beginning of the verse where it says that God made, this righteousness comes from God too. There's nothing that we could even do to get this righteousness. It comes from God. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture. It's the great exchange. And speaking on this passage of Scripture, John MacArthur has this quote that I appreciate. He says this, Here is where the paradox of of redemption is resolved. You see, there's a lot of people that say, "How, how could a holy God allow people to continue to sin? How could that possibly happen? When we look around the world, we see all this brokenness. It doesn't make any sense. But here is where the paradox of redemption is resolved. Here is where the mystery is solved. Here is where the riddle is answered. Here is where we find how holy justice and perfect love can both be satisfied, how righteousness and mercy can embrace each other. And the truth of this one brief sentence solves the most profound dilemma of how God can reconcile with sinners. The reason God can reconcile with sinners is not because Amazingly, we somehow figure it out and start to do things right and start to not sin. The way that we can be reconciled to God is because God sent him, who knew no sin, to be sin for us and to die in our place so that we get seen as his righteous children. This is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the reason why we exist As a church, this is a reason why we're here together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But there's one more final phrase in Him. Perhaps you noticed that all the other points had ellipses after after them. Ellipses. That's the three dots. It means there's more. All the other points had an ellipsis after them because there was more to come. But after in him, there's a period. And I like that the ESV translates it this way. Because in my mind, this phrase needs to have a period. An exclamation point, maybe, if if I were texting this, maybe five or six exclamation points. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All of eternity boils down to the question, are you in him. It is the most important question that any person can answer this side of heaven. And if your answer is yes, then praise the Lord. You're a child of God. We're so thankful for that. And we'd encourage you, participate with us as we celebrate God's redemption and the fact that he has done everything necessary to accomplish that and to reconcile us back to him in that right relationship. And that's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper as a church. Being in him is the only real cure for the brokenness of the human heart. It's the only real cure for the brokenness in our world. Elections and and war and persecutions, all these things take place. But they can't fully resolve the brokenness that's inside each and every human being. Being in him is why we strive to serve him. Being in him is why we preach the good news to one another. 
Being in him is why we have perspectives classes. Being in him is why we have outreach ministries. Being in him is why we have children's ministries. Being in him is why we do anything that we do. Because we don't deserve to be in him. But he's done everything so that we could be in him. And we want that for you as well. So this morning, if you are in him, celebrate with us at the Lord's table. And this morning, if you have not made that decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I pray that you would consider what he has done for you. Because God made Jesus, him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. So that if we are in him, if we know him, if we have faith and trust in what he has done for us, that we can become the righteousness of God. And now, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, remembering all that Christ has accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary, we'll have one of our deacons, Nick Bancroft, pray for us before we take the bread together.